0: All right, well guys, hey, thank y'all so much for being here. I really appreciate everybody uh, coming here and uh, being with us this morning. Okay, you good. <laughs> a- Abby, we were about to send out a search party for you. Cause, no, it's not your fault. I think Jerry was just a little lost. He had that puppy look on him. That uh, is pretty typical, <laughs> and so. Oh guys, I really appreciate y'all being here. This class is a class that's, it's billed as a class for new and young Christians now I'm not checking cards and booting anybody out if you are not a new or young Christian, okay? But there is, um, there is a need for a class like this, and so I was happy to to jump in here and, and uh, walk through some things with us. So far, we've talked about just sort of what the Christian life looks like, and in the last three weeks, we talked about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, I figured those are important things for new Christians to know about. Uh, And if you're interested, you can find those uh, recordings, uh, audio recordings, on our church website. So there's a little link up at the top, it says Faith Resources, you can scroll down and find Sermons and Classes, if you're interested in catching those those past recordings. Today, since we've talked about uh, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, today I want to talk about people, talk about people. And we're going to dig into some of this a little bit. So we'll get into the Bible here in just a second. But let me ask this question to start us off. Are humans basically good or basically bad? What do you think? Are humans basically good or basically bad? Alright, Jerry says 50-50. Could go either way. What do you Intentions to be good, yeah. Choices. Please we'll do. Basically, neither. We, basically we, can we can do either, yeah. Yes, sir. Like un- oh, you're holding un- it. Un- un- okay, yeah, appreciate it. What do you think? Are humans basically good or basically bad? It depends on your point Sure. Yeah. Somebody might think, oh, yeah. he's not that bad, and you might think Right, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when, uh, when people, people say, oh yeah, he's a good guy, and they start talking about him, it's like, are you sure? Are you sure? You know? I heard a story one time about a, about a, 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 a priest, an Italian priest, who was um, asked to do a funeral for a local mob boss. And his brother came up to the priest and said, look, I, I see that the church needs a new roof. And I can pay for that new roof. I just want you to do one thing for me, okay? Can you refer to my brother as a saint? And the priest was like, uh, you want me to do what? So I went through the whole thing, made him an offer. Maybe he couldn't refuse. <laughs> Yeah, and then he, uh, and the priest was like, okay, well, you know, I think the, I, all right, I'll, I'll do it, okay. So there in the eulogy, the, the priest is giving the eulogy, and he's talking about the man in the, in the coffin, and you know, his brother's in the audience, and said, this man right here was an absolute disgusting human being. He was a liar, a cheater, a swindler, a thief, but compared to his brother, this man was a saint. That's a preacher story. I don't know if it's true or not. But now you have it ready to go at any point. Kinda depends on who you talk to, right? Kinda depends on your point of view. What does worldly wisdom say about humanity? right, So bracket the Bible for a second. What does worldly wisdom say about people? Worldly wisdom? Sure. Do unto others before they do unto you? Whew, yeah. That's worldly. Yeah. Yeah. Good is subjective, yeah. Everyone is a hero of their own story. Yeah, they're good if they think like me and vote like me and yeah. Listen to the same TV stations, sure. Anybody else? Worldly wisdom, yeah? Okay. What about the Bible? What does the Bible say about humanity? try to serve people or God, if we would still be trying to serve people, we wouldn't be servants of Christ. Yeah. Galatians. Paul mentions that. Hunter takes us back even a little bit further than that, created in the image of God. Yeah. For Let's all see. of sin, fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus paid brother. Romans, yeah. And we all have to love one another, but that's not always the case. Right. I like how uh, I like Jamie pointing us to this verse out of Paul's letter to the churches in Rome. All have sinned and fallen short. And while we were on that road, somehow we got tripped up. We missed the mark. Let's take a look at uh, the book of Genesis. If you've got a Bible, you can turn or type. If you don't have a Bible on you, we've got some over here if anybody needs one. But if you've got a Bible on your, uh, on your phone or in your, on your person... Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. All right. So quick summary of the book of Genesis up to this point. All two chapters of it. Humans are created in the image of God, but sin has cursed every aspect of creation. And that's what we're going to jump into here in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And I'll just, I'll read these, uh, for the sake of the re- recording, I'll, uh, I'll read these uh, verses up to you. So Adam and Eve, they've eaten that fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And then God, after uh, talking to the serpent, God comes over here and uh, tells, uh, tells Eve, To the woman, he said... I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Whew. These I'm not exaggerating when I say that we could spend a whole three months unpacking everything that's going on here. Why the fact that there's a talking serpent in the garden in the first place, right? That we, we would take a long time to unpack all of that. But what I want to focus on is just these few verses, specifically showing how sin has cursed creation in four significant ways. And if you were here last week, I mentioned these in my sermon last week. And I know those of you who are here are always diligently taking notes and memorizing your your notes. Sin cursed creation in four significant ways. Take a look at verse 16. Just the first part there. The woman's, Eve's, physical pain will increase during childbirth. And take a look at verse 19. Adam, by the sweat of your face, Adam will have to work extraordinarily hard to get the basic necessities of life. The first significant way that sin... As cursed creation is down to the personal level. Our very persons, our physical bodies, are affected by the curse of sin. When somebody asks the question, why do bad things happen to good people? The short answer is, because the curse of sin. Why do people get sick? And die because the curse of sin it's worth unpacking that later but that's the short answer the curse of sin has affected us down to the personal even to the DNA level and if you are ever around children or people who make mistakes okay if you're ever around those people sometimes right People do things, and they don't quite understand the full consequences of what happened to them, right? Yeah, maybe that has been you. Okay. Well, we get that. Down to the personal level, that's the first way. Personally. Second, take a look at uh, verses 17 and 18. You can see what happens to the ground. Look at the second half of verse 17 and all of verse 18. Cursed is the ground because of you, in toil, in heavy labor, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring up for you. The very earth itself is cursed by sin. So personally and the earth as well, that's the second way. Ecologically, if if we're going to use the technical terms here, personally and ecologically, sin has cursed creation. Look at the second half of verse 16. Second half of verse 16. Again, we could spend all day unpacking what this means, but the bottom line here is Eve is going to have some, some kind of desire for a kind of relationship with Adam, but Adam will rule over her. And in the context here, this is not a good thing. The desire here is not like good God-honoring marital desire. In the context here where all, God is listing all of the things that Adam and Eve have now brought upon themselves and the world, the kind of relationship here is a strainful, power dynamic relationship as opposed to mutually helpful, self-giving, mutually loving. And so at the social level, that's the third way. So first one personally, second way ecologically, third way socially, down to the family unit, sin has affected, and then sin has affected to people. And then let's skip down a little bit to verse twenty-two or verse 23, 23 and 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to tell the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Eve was there with him. And at the east of the Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming to guard, uh, turn away, guarding the tree of life. They were removed from the garden, removed from God's presence, from God there walking around with them in the garden. And so the fourth way is sin has cursed us theologically. So to use these technical terms, personally, down to the personal level. Second, ecologically, the earth itself has been cursed because of creation. Third, socially, our families and our relationships, our interactions, all of that has been cursed. And then fourth, our relationship with God, theologically. If you want to remember that as an acronym, I had it up on the screen last week, personally, ecologically, Socially and theologically P-E-S-T sin is a pest and then you can kind of flesh that out with all this right here at the very beginning of the story at the story of God's work with people and creation sin enters the picture and it's ugly and according to a biblical way of viewing people this This is what happens. And if you read through the Old Testament, you see, man, maybe people haven't changed that much in 3,000 to 4,000 years. Some people are heroic and daring and honorable, and other people, not so much. Yeah. Hunter mentioned earlier that people were created in God's image. What does that mean to be created In God's image What does that mean To be created In the image of God Yes sir And His likeness Yeah Something At least similar Right Like I guess Molded by a By a guiding Force right Yeah As how we should live And how we should be No one can be God But there is a guideline If you follow As Jesus did There's, there's Yeah there's some Intentionality to it Like there's There's a clear Kind of direction Yeah, yeah. Something along those lines, yeah, there's some indication, right, that right. you might be able to maneuver through some of this stuff. I would always tell my kids, when they said I can't do this, it's cool. I said, look, God created you in his image, so you know, you just have to work through it, you have to study it, because he's given you that. Yeah. You know, so he has a people, hate you to know, he says, but I can tell them. God doesn't create stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. The Word, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, turn to Genesis chapter 1 real quick. I want you to camp out there just for a little bit, I want you to see this, because this is pretty cool, and I, I have taught on this fairly recently, but it, uh, it bears repeating. Uh, repetition is the key to adult learning, and so I will say some things that you might have heard me say before, but like I said earlier today, sometimes it's good to be reminded of the things we might already know. All right, take a look at uh, verse uh, Genesis 1, verse 26, so right near the end of the chapter. When, um, <clears throat> when God says, let us make man in our image, when he says man there, he doesn't mean specifically male. He means generally the term for humans. And he said our also. Say, he did say our also. Father, so your... That will be something we'll get into later. <laughs> But he says, make man in our image, meaning make humans in our image. That word image elsewhere in the Bible can mean something like statue or idol or likeness or something like that. Let's tease this out a little bit. What is an idol? Think about people in the ancient world. What is an idol? Visible representations of godly beings, yeah Anybody want to add to that? It doesn't always have to be godly Just somebody who is set on a higher pedestal Sure, yeah And usually those people were perceived to be empowered by the gods Yeah, some connection there, yeah, definitely Would it be like not of this world? A lot of, sort of otherworldly, yeah, spiritual Yeah, like of this world Yeah. Uh, to draw a comparison, it would be like uh, the Greeks who were not with this, but mm-hmm. they also had demigods, were right. humans, yeah. but they were held in a place of power like a God. Yeah, Hercules is a great example of that. Yeah, yeah Hercules. So angry, right? You could have an idol of an angel, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, an idol is a representation of, Usually of some kind of deity, right? Okay, and then think in a pagan mindset, all right? So Christians and Jews we normally think there's, there's one God in the pagan world that many gods and goddesses, right? Okay, so think, think along those lines for a second. An idol is like a representation of that. It stands in place of that god or goddesses. Technically, they weren't considered the actual god or goddess himself, right? It's just a statue that stands in a temple. But, surely, there were some pagans who just might not have known the difference. Here's, uh, here, here's a quote from uh, an Old Testament commentary that I really like. That uh, these, guys put this, uh, these guys who put this together are really sharp. I like these guys a lot. It said, The ancient, ancient people did not believe that the idol was the deity itself, but just a representation of that deity. However, they did believe that that God's spirit came to inhabit the image. And thus, pagans prayed to that image as if it were the God itself. Okay. There's there's some similarities there. Now, one of the Bible's most fascinating critiques of, uh, of idol worship is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. You, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. Isaiah, chapter 44. Listen to a um, kind of a, a Jewish perspective about idol worship. Isaiah, chapter 44, Which verse? verse 9, verse 9. This gives, a, um, this gives a really interesting perspective, a Jewish perspective on, on idol worship. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 9, it says, All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol, which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith, so then he begins to describe the process of actually creating an idol. The blacksmith takes a tool and works it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm, but he gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. Again, still talking about the blacksmith. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used for fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread but he fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol, meaning an idol, out of the same stuff that he just burned, and he bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire over it, he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat, he eats his fill, he also warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm, I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. They know nothing, they understand nothing, Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds are closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate it. Shall I make a detestable thing from what's left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? The fascinating story behind this is, or the context behind this is, if you actually look at idol worship, imagine the foolishness, according to this perspective. Imagine the foolishness of you being the one to go through all the work to put this thing together. Then you come up to it and say, you are so much more powerful than I am. I bow down and I worship you. Like, when you look at it like that, it's like, oh, wow, man, yeah, that really is dumb. But that was the pagan mindset, that you have all these little images and representations. But, turn back to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read through that section there, verses 26 through 28. Instead of what pagans thought about images of god we see what god thought about images of god meaning people here in genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 and here's what i want to ask you as we read through these verses pay close attention to this in these verses what role were humans supposed to play in creation all right so as we read I'm going to ask you this question again, but I want you to be thinking about it. Pay attention. What role were humans supposed to play in creation? Okay. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, my question is according to these verses, what role? were the images of God supposed to play in creation? Guardians. Guardians rulers. Yeah. This idea, you're, uh, tech, you might be familiar with uh, maybe with how the King James put it, let them have dominion. Yeah, that word dominion, we don't use that word a lot these days. Power over. It means power over. They were supposed to rule over benevolently. The way that this reads, if we kind of read between the lines here, God originally intended humans to be created in his image to rule creation in the way that he would rule creation. Not with an iron fist. With love. With, love, with care and concern to bring peace and beauty and goodness and all of that into the world. And That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I feel pretty red when my garden grows, okay? <laughs> Imagine then, like, when you actually put that to, to good use throughout the entire world. That's pretty cool. Now, like he a pool, but he also gave the tools to do it. Exactly, exactly. That is precisely ruling creation on his behalf, it was precisely what we we're supposed to do, and Stella, I think you might've been peeking at my notes. <laughs> In order to do that, we were given the capacities to do so. Here's another, this is a lengthy quote, but these guys said it better than I could, and so i am share this with you, and then we can kind of pick apart uh, some of this from the same uh, commentary that I was reading. When God created people, he put them in charge of all his creation, right? We just read, let them rule over all of this. Now, obviously... The idea was not for us to rule over it selfishly because what happened when we tried to take things into our own hands, according to Genesis 3? Well, curse of sin. Things spun wildly out of control. They tried to know what he knew, right? Yeah. They tried to to be God themselves. Nope, that didn't work. So when God created people, he put them in charge of all of his creation. He endowed them with his own image. In the ancient world... An image was believed to carry the essence of the thing it represented. Right, so if you've created an image of a god or goddess or something like that, in the ancient mindset, this, there's something special about this. It kind of had that person's essence or that god or goddess's essence there. An idol image of a deity, the same term used here in, in Genesis 1.26 for image of God, an idol image of a deity that would be used in worship of that deity because, in the pagan mindset, it contained the deity's essence. So in a pagan mindset, they look at this and think, yeah, there's a special connection here. Now, this doesn't mean that the image could do what the deity could do, nor that it necessarily looked the same as the image, Rather, the deity's work was thought to be accomplished through the idol. In similar ways, the governing work of God was supposed to be accomplished by people. That suddenly makes our jobs seem a lot more important now. It's like, oh, wow. I'm not just... God just didn't put us here just because he was bored, which is what other ancient pagan religions think about what their gods did. They were tired and needed somebody to do their work for them, so they created people in ancient pagan mindsets. In the biblical mindset, God created this as a partnership to, to partner with us. And so uh, they go on. But that's not all there is to the image of God. You you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, those verses talk about the image of God in Adam being passed on to the image of Adam's son, Seth. Now this goes beyond the comment about plants and animals reproducing after their own kind, though children right share physical characteristics with their parents, genetics with their parents. What draws the idol imagery, meaning the image of God, and the child imagery from Genesis 5 together, is the idea that the image provides the capacity not only to serve in the place of God, so His representative, containing His essence, but also to be and to act like Him, the tools God provided so we may accomplish that task include conscience self-awareness and spiritual discernment and so create being created in the image of god stella put it a little bit more eloquently than i did right god did not make stupid people okay god didn't make junk created in the image of god means that you and i even now despite the curse of sin still affecting us You and I now still have these capacities, affected as they are. We still have conscience. We still have self awareness. We still have the ability to discern some things about the spiritual world. Human sin introduced a curse on all of creation. And in order to break that curse, Jesus entered into human suffering, defeated death. Basically, Jesus told death, do your worst. And it did. And Jesus broke that. He got in there and he broke death, basically. And he was raised to new and eternal life. Think about it this way. Jesus is kind of like a second Adam. So there was a Adam was Adam came and you know we were supposed to live in a certain way based on how Adam and Eve were supposed to live. There was a pattern that they were supposed to follow. And then what happened? Well, the curse of sin. It all went downhill from there. Pretty drastically. Jesus comes as kind of a new way to show us how to be human. And we see a little bit of that in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Turn with me to Romans, chapter 5. Hey Kevin. Yes, sir. I never paid attention to uh, something else up, but well, you know cool. I teach you that we came from apes. I have heard that before. so, <laughs> like, discerning, you know. Yeah. It turns you away from what actually you're supposed to know you came from, right? Like, and then, you know, the other day I was thinking, like, did you it come from me? You know, like, <laughs> you know, and then I started thinking, and then I was like, "What? Well, wait a second, I've been deceived all these years. <laughs> yeah. You can't, what? Oh, uh, it came from apes. Oh. Yeah. You know, in cool? I have that picture where you're, like, you, like, it's a monkey that's, like, evolving. Yeah, then you stand up, right? I feel that way in the mornings, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting out of bed, and I'm like, oh, man, all right, I need to I need to shower, I need to brush my teeth. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and then we'll have to skip just a little bit, but we won't lose any context. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all humans, because all sinned skip down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass or sin, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, all humans, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all humans. For as by the one man's, Adam's, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's, Jesus's, obedience, the many will be made righteous. Basically, Paul is explaining to his, uh, to his friends in Rome, there's some pretty serious similarities between Adam and Jesus. Adam as the first human Was supposed to live in a certain way, and his actions drastically affected everybody. What he did extended to all humans. In a similar but in a much more important way, when Jesus came, what he did is extended and offered to all humans. One man's sin brought death. Into the world one man's righteous life brings life and healing and peace and beauty and goodness all the things that we had in the garden are now brought back and available to us in Jesus and according to the Bible that is kind of the basic way that humans are presented and here's probably the last thing that I want to leave us with this morning because of the curse of sin and because of death and sickness and everything else that happens I think it's fair to say that you and I will suffer because of sin's curse yeah, that's how it is. some of us have suffered already quite a bit You will suffer because of sin's curse. But, if we learn how to suffer in the way that Jesus suffered, enduring enduring it, letting it be transformative, your suffering can be transformative, and through participating in Jesus' suffering you can overcome death and sin's curse with Jesus. That's how Scripture puts it. Yeah, I like how that story ends. Very <laughs> great. The other way. Yeah. So let me ask this question. What is the first step in participating in Jesus' suffering? How do you bind What's the first thing you do when you bind your life to Jesus's? Baptism. baptism. Which is what we'll talk about next week. Guys, appreciate y'all hanging in there today. It's kind of a heavy lesson, but basically what I wanted us to see is that even though there was a curse of sin then, humans still created in the image of God, still have these godly capacities, Christ reawakens those and brings them out to their fullest potential as he continues to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And the way we begin that is baptism, which is what we'll talk about next week. Guys, I really appreciate y'all. Thank you very much.